All right, I want to minister out of the book of Revelation again. I hope you've had a great 21 days. Uh, we had a wonderful prayer meeting yesterday. I think uh, counting the children, about 180 people, I believe, uh, were here uh, at Cornerstone Church. We had a great pre-service prayer meeting this morning. And uh, our, our prayer meeting uh, on Sundays uh, goes throughout the year. And so if you're looking for uh, a time to get together with God's people to pray, that's a weekly prayer meeting. It begins at 8.10 every Sunday morning. But we had a great time, and uh, we did a Jericho march uh, this morning. And uh, my wife took a group around this way seven times. I took a group around this way seven times. And then we ended worshiping the Lord and gave a shout of victory and expecting the walls to come down, for breakthroughs to happen, for victories to occur, for God to answer prayer. And uh, I think as my, uh, I think I was telling my wife, I think that's our best Sunday morning before church prayer meeting we've ever had. It's just a, a really a wonderful anointing. Same with yesterday, man. God really poured out His Spirit, and so that encourages my heart. That at the end of the 21 days, God visited us in a very special, unique way. His presence came down and quickened our hearts. That tells me that God is pleased, that God loves us, that God has heard us, that God is quickening our hearts, that God is saying the answer is on its way. Uh, victory is coming your way. I have heard you, and he crowns it with his wonderful presence. Can somebody say amen to that? Well, we need that, don't we? Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 9. I'm going to read to the end of chapter 1, talking about Jesus and the end-time church. Last week I talked about God's Word for us in 2024 out of Revelation chapter 1. And this time I'm talking about how Jesus has a message, a word for his church, his end-time church. I believe we're that end-time church. I, John both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first, the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him... I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. That basically is the 
three-point outline for the book of Revelation. Write the things which you have seen, which is the vision of Revelation chapter 1, he saw Jesus. And the things which are, which is chapters 2 and 3, the seven letters to the seven churches, which are basically his churches even that are alive today. They're characteristic of churches right now. And the things which shall be, that's Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 22, all that is yet to come to pass, all right? So we're living in Revelation 2 and 3 as we're part of God's church with this message that he sends. And it says in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, that's the word angelos in the Greek meaning messengers, of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And I'm so glad that the Lord stands in the midst of the golden lampstands which represent the seven churches, which represent God's church, even alive, that's on planet earth right now. So Jesus is in the midst of his church. Jesus is in the midst of us. Thank God for that, right? Everybody wants to know, where is God? He's among his people. He walks among us, praise the Lord. So it talks about these seven churches there in verse 11. Send it to the seven churches in Asia. And these were literal churches existing in these cities at the time that John wrote the book of Revelation, about A.D. 95. But these seven churches also represent or characterize the churches that are alive and remain right now. In other words, Cornerstone Church is like one of these churches, or perhaps a mixture of one of these churches. He talks about Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, these seven churches. And uh, so I went through Revelations chapter 2 and 3 because it gets more specific, God's word to them. To Ephesus... He told them, you've left your first love. You know what God told them to do if they had left their first love? Repent. And then Smyrna, they were the persecuted church. God's message to them, there was no rebuke whatsoever. God's message to them was, be faithful. The church at Pergamos, they were the compromising church. You know what God's message was to them? Repent. The church at Thyatira, they were the corrupt church. You know what God's message was to them? repent. You know, the church of Sardis was the dead church. Don't want to be that. You know what God's message was to this dead church? Repent. The church of Philadelphia, well, they were the faithful church. You know what God's message was to them? Hold fast. Boy, I want to be that Philadelphia church. And then the Laodicean church, they were the lukewarm church. You know what God's message was to them? Repent. And so the five of the seven, God says, you need to repent. But to the persecuted church, he just says, be faithful. Be faithful. And to the Philadelphia church, he says, hold fast. In other words, keep on keeping on. Hold fast. Don't let go of the word of the Lord. Don't let go of your love for me. Just continue to hold fast. Don't let anybody move you off your steadfastness. Hold fast your profession of faith. Hold fast the truth of God's Word. Hold fast your love for Jesus. Just keep holding fast. The Lord is not afraid to command people to repent or to command his church 
to repent. Jesus has a message for his end-time church. We're an end-time church. Like I said, I, I want to be, and I believe we are to be, and I believe that we are that Philadelphia church. And our message from the Lord today is to hold fast. You know, there's a lot of pressure winds of doctrine and winds of adversity and pressure from culture to get us to let loose our love for God, our faith in his word, our trust in him and in his promises. It's always this pressure to compromise, to go along, to get along. But I want you to know that we're called to hold fast to him, to his truth, to our love for him to not compromise, even in the face of pressure from culture, pressure from this and that. You might see other people compromising and churches compromising, and many are. I'm aware of that. But boy, I tell you what, I don't want to be that type of church. I don't want to be that type of pastor. And so I want to be that Philadelphia church. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 3. I certainly don't want to be the Laodicean church. Oh my gosh, that would be terrible. They had this grand, grand idea of who they were, and uh, the Lord said, man, you are poor and wretched, blind and naked. And I certainly don't want to be the, the other church, the Ephesian church that had left their first love. I don't want to be that. I want to be passionate for Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, Jesus is glorified in his church, and I believe as he reveals himself, in Revelation chapter 1, as he reveals himself, in that is a message to us today. In other words, the message or the word of the Lord is revealed in his revelation of himself to the church. Let's take a look at this. It says in verse 13, In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, so wearing a priestly garment girded about the chest with a golden band. And so that garment is a priestly garment. That gold sash the priest would wear, a sash around its waist. The Bible here calls it a gold sash. And so I believe that the Lord's message to us from this revelation is that Jesus is the high priest who intercedes for his people. He also wears that gold sash. Gold is the color that represents deity. So he is the royal priest, the kingly priest. In other words, he intercedes for us as a priest. He represents us to God, his father, as a priest. He takes our petitions before the Lord, but also Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. He's king of his church. He's Lord of his church. He's king of kings, and he's Lord of lords. Amen? It tells us in Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, he was clothed with the robe dipped in blood. So take that robe in Revelation chapter 1, dip it in blood, right? And his name is called the Word of God. Jesus is the Savior of his church. I love that, the fact that his robe is dipped in blood because it represents the sacrifice of Jesus for you and I on the cross. He's that high priest who represents us before God, but he's also the lamb that the high priest sacrificed so that we might be forgiven. He's both the high priest and the lamb and the king and the Lord. And may Jesus be preeminent at Cornerstone Church. Amen. 
Bible tells us in Revelation 19, verse 16, and he has on his robe and on his thigh name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So he wears the high priestly robe dipped in blood, and on that robe is a gold sash representing his deity, and on that robe also is the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Bible tells us in verse 14, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Oh, beautiful, isn't it? This hair being white as snow, that whiteness, that hair, talks about purity, white. Wisdom, because his hair is white, that symbolizes not just purity, but also wisdom. Proverbs talks about uh, men or women with uh, the, the white hair or the gray hair, and it represents wisdom, right? The Bible says old men glory in their gray hair. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that, but that's what the Bible says, so I guess we need to start doing that, right? And uh, because it speaks of, uh, of length of days, that brings about with it tremendous wisdom. So when he has white hair. It speaks of purity. It speaks of wisdom, but it also speaks of length of days or his eternality. Jesus, the eternal one, because the Bible reveals himself in the scriptures in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Listen to this. I watched till the thrones were put in place, and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow. His the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. And the Bible talks about these wheels, right? These wheels. In other words, God is always moving, always moving, always in motion, always at work. He's not resting in the sense of getting lazy. He's not sleeping. His wheels, they're turning and they're moving and they're going here and they're going there. God is moving and moving and moving, but he's the ancient of days. He's the great I am. He's the eternal one. He's the first and the last, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. His hair is white as wool, speaks about his wisdom. Jesus' message to us is he is the great I am. He's the eternal one. He's the beginning and the end. He has all wisdom. Wisdom, the sum of all wisdom rests in him. We need his wisdom. We need his ever presence with us. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's take a look at this next one. Next one. His eyes in verse 14, like a flame of fire. Hmm. Penetrating vision, searching examination. The idea here is that God sees everything within us speaks of his omniscience. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Oh, that's the idea that God is able to uncover, to reveal every single thing. Sometimes we like to hide ourselves or believe that we can hide ourselves from the Lord. You know, Adam and Eve thought that when they sinned, they heard the voice. What they do? They hid themselves. But I want you to know that you can't hide your life from God. You cannot hide your thoughts from God. You cannot hide your motives from the Lord. You cannot hide your sin from God. The Bible says your sin will find you out. God has a way of exposing bringing things to light. 
And as a believer, you want the light of his word and the lamp of his spirit to search your heart like David would say, search me, O God. Search me, O God. Jesus talks about how there should be no dark corners in your heart, but God illuminates. That's one reason why we pray. That's one reason why we read the Word, so the Word might read us, so the Spirit of God might shine a light on the inside of us, so that we might be uh, exposed, revealed to the living God. Hebrews 4.13 talks about this. There is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is, this is the fear of God. Is it not? This is the fear of God. There is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Oh, Lord. Everything I've done, everything I've thought, every word that I've expressed, every attitude that I've harbored, everything I've done before others and secretly, you know, you know, his eyes are like a flame of fire. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And so we understand that as believers, we stand before God to give account. He is our Savior and our judge, and the, and the place where we stand is called the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible reveals that the day will declare each man's works will be tested by fire. And here in Revelation chapter 1, it talks about the fire in his eyes. The idea there that I get, or how I imagine this, is as I stand before him at that great judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, as a believer, not to have my salvation judged, but rather my life lived as a believer, that his eyes will be penetrating. His eyes will be revealing. His eyes will be, as it were, the sense of omniscience able to know everything and all things about me, and that I cannot hide myself from those eyes of fire that penetrate and search into the every area of my heart and life, and I am exposed before God. I must give account for my life. I will be saved, yet God will search me out. His eyes are like fire, fire. You know, the Bible talks about how Jesus is like a lion of the tribe of Judah. And I remember a number of years ago, my wife and I were in Zimbabwe, and the missionary, Mark Roser, took us to a, uh, a, like a lion park, I guess it was. And uh, they allowed us to go in the lion cages. We started off with little babies with a little bottle of milk, and then they got a little older. Then we went into the juvenile cage. I think that's when you backed out, right? Went into the juvenile cage where the lion's mane is coming in, and finally they took us to the lion's cage where fully grown males. And uh, I said, can I go in? And uh, he said, yes. And so the guide took me in, and I remember what was most fierce about those lions was the eyes. His eyes were like yellow. 
fierce. Now I remember I was by one and I was looking at him and he turned and looked at me with those eyes. And those eyes struck fear in my heart. And the last thing I want to do is emanate fear. Let them know that I'm afraid, because I've always heard that animals can pick up on that. If they know that you're afraid of them, then they're going to attack you and, and, and kill you. And so, here I am. You know, I'm a little fearful about this lion, but it was his eyes, his eyes that struck fear in my heart. Imagine Jesus, God, his eyes like a flame of fire. We will stand before that God. And that is his message to us is that he knows us. He knows this church. He searches us out. He examines us. We can't hide anything. He knows exactly who we are, what we are, what we need to be. And when you come to church, you should sense the searching eyes of God on you. When you hear his word, it should be searching out your heart. When you worship and the spirit of God moves, that should be like a candle illuminating the inside, examining you. A church should be a time of repentance. It should be a time of the fear of the Lord. Church should be a place where you get right with God, where he deals with things in your life and your priorities, and may God do that among us. Somebody say amen to that. Jesus examines and searches every believer in every church. In verse 15, it says this, his feet were like fine brass as if refined in his furnace, in a furnace. That's verse 15. Brass is a metal connected with judgment. Jesus has passed through the fire of suffering and has a refined purity. Jesus has been through the refiner's fire. Jesus became a perfect high priest through his sufferings. So when we talk about a refiner's fire, it was not to purify Jesus like we need to be purified. He had no sin. He had no fault. There is nothing lacking in him whatsoever. But the Bible does say this, that the cross was a place of judgment. And the Lord laid on him the judgment of us all. And the cross was a place of suffering. And the Bible says that he became perfect through suffering. In other words, everything he needed to become as a priest, he became as a faithful high priest and a wonderful Savior. His sufferings molded him, shaped him, and prepared him so that in all points he was tempted tempted yet without sin. You got that? Feet like fine brass. Listen to this. Jesus can take you and me through the refiner's fire because he's already been through it. Malachi chapter 3 talks about this. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? That's a great question. When Jesus comes and you must give account before God and stand before your judge and everything will be known and you can't hide anything from the Lord, can you stand in that day? Can you stand 
in that day. And I'm telling you, the only place that will enable us to stand in that day is if we're standing in Jesus Christ. And his righteousness has become our righteousness through faith in him. And his blood has covered our sins because we have trusted in him. And our own confidence, our only boldness that day is if we have believed upon the Lord and we are hid in Christ when we stand before God's great judgment. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord, you see everything, but I'm in Jesus. He's my Savior. The Bible says he's my advocate with the Father at that great courtroom judgment. But this refiner's fire that Malachi's talking about, let me continue to read it. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. For the believer, a refiner's fire does not destroy, but rather it refines, it purifies, it separates the impurities from the gold. The refiner's fire will purify the true believer, but it will consume the unbeliever. Refiner's fire. There's a chorus. We used to sing it years ago. Refiner's fire, my heart, one desire is to be holy. Right? The fire of God. The testing of your faith. Challenges, tests. The dealings of God. If you're a believer, purify you, strengthen you, encourage you. It rids your life of what we would call dross or impurities, sins, and attitudes that are displeasing to the Lord. It rids you of that. It purifies you. When God places his hand in our lives and tests us, proves us, tries us like a refiner's fire. We come forth, like Job would say, well, I know that when he tests me or tries me, I shall come forth as gold, purified, purified. His feet like fine brass. The revelation of the Lord to us here today is he's passed through the refiner's fire. Therefore, he now will refine us. He now will purify us. And our hearts should be, yes, Lord. Come, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Search me, Lord. The Bible says his voice in verse 15 is like the sound of many waters. In other words, Jesus speaks with a commanding, all-powerful voice. You know, sometimes when you come to church, you want it to be quiet Sometimes we think silence is more reverential than loudness. But Jesus, his voice is the sound of many waters. I don't know if you've ever been to a waterfall. I've been to Niagara Falls. And that is the sound of many waters. All powerful, loud, encompassing, enveloping of you. It speaks about the voice of the Lord, the commanding voice of God. There is a place for quietness and reverence in the house of the Lord. For the Bible says, be still 
and know that I am God, to wait in the presence of the Lord, to quiet our hearts. But there's also a place for the voice of the Lord, for the command of God, for the shout of God's people, for the high-sounding symbols, like what it says in Psalm 150. The sound of many waters, Jesus commanding the church. Listen to this. Jesus' voice should be louder than all other voices. When, we, when you come to church, the voice that you need to hear is the voice of the Lord. You need to hear the Word of God. His voice, His Word, God's judgments, His statutes should be greater than, louder than any other voice, any other opinion that's out there in the world. Am I right about that? We should want to hear from God. What does the Bible say? What does God say about this? What is His judgment on that? What does the Word of the Lord say concerning this or that? And His voice needs to be loud in our hearts and in our spirits. In other words, we put great weight on what God says. We care more about what God says about that issue, that sin, that cultural issue, that political problem. We care more about what God says than what the culture says or what the politician says or what the psychiatrist says. We care more about what God says. His voice is like many waters. It's loud, and it needs to reverberate on the inside of us. And all God's people said, yes, and amen. amen. It says in Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. Waters many times is, uh, is like challenges, trials. Think about uh, you're on the water, and the storm comes, and the waves, and you know, when Jesus was walking on the water, that speaks about how he is victorious over all trials, all tribulations, all storms of life, right? When Jesus says, peace, be still, it speaks about how his voice that he can command everything, all the circumstances to die down, right? Well, here it says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. I love that. Cedars were majestic trees. Stood tall. I want to know that the Lord can bring the tall, the lofty, the proud, the, the powerful, those that are beautiful, right? He can bring all them down to a place of lowliness and humility. He can splinter the cedars of Lebanon by his voice. As a church, we want the Lord to speak. We want the Lord to humble us. We want the Lord to be exalted. We want to honor His voice. And His voice should be like the sound of many waters here at Cornerstone Church. When you come to church, you would just tell me what the word of the Lord is. What is God speaking? What is God saying? What's the truth here? For the truth is what sets us free. Thy word is truth. We honor the Lord when we honor his word. He has magnified his word even above his name. The scripture tells us in the book of Psalms. 
Oh, that voice of the Lord. Then it goes on and it says, his mouth in verse 16 is like a sharp two-edged sword. That sword we know is like the word of God. It's two-edged. As I read one preacher say, that's two-edged sword, which means it wounds and also heals. The sword that wounds has a second side. It also heals. Oh, Lord, may your word of God penetrate my heart and deal with those things that need to be dealt with. In other words, wounding me, letting me see my sin or dealing with my sin, bringing me to a place of repentance. That word that pierces is also the word of the Lord on that second side that heals. Two-edged sword. Hebrews talks about a two-edged sword, right? Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is the discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, that two-edged sword, it wounds and heals, divides soul and spirit, discerns thoughts and intents. Out of his mouth, it tells us, Revelation 19 goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. So what is God's word for us today in this revelation? Jesus is judge over his church and all peoples. And he judges us by his word, by his word. You know, this word is forever settled forever settled in the heavens. The Bible says that heaven and earth can pass away, but his word will never pass away. It is written. This is the revelation of God, the word of God. This is what will judge us in the last day. But this is the word that should judge us every single day. I want this word to discern my heart and judge my motives every single day so that when I stand before God at that final judgment, this word has already done its good work. Amen? It's already done its good work. The Bible tells us in verse 16 that his countenance like the sun shining in its strength. Just as his word his voice needs to be greater or louder than all other voices. Jesus needs to shine brighter and greater than all other lights. His countenance shining like the sun in his strength. You know, the Bible says you can't look at him and live. And the idea here is that Jesus has such brilliant glory that the idea there is that, you know, the sun shining in his strength on a clear blue day in the middle of the summer, then you, can you look at it? No, it's just too bright. It's too bright. It's too bright. You need to shield yourself from the brightness of his glory because we are not made in our flesh to look full in his face and live. That's the brightness of his glory. That's the express image of his person in Jesus Christ. He is the holy God, the awesome God, the brilliant God. The, the shining presence of God is the, what we call the holiness of God. It's the the, the uh, glory of God is the holiness of God displayed or expressed in all of its brightness. Show me your glory, but we can't see the glory of God and all of his glory until one day we will stand before him and see him as he is with those glorified bodies. But down here, we 
see in part and we know in part because we're flesh and that flesh keeps us from entering in and fully experiencing the beauty and the glory of Almighty God. It's to God's greatness that His countenance is so bright that we can't look on it. Jesus has strength, majesty, authority, and righteousness. Oh, His revelation to us is, may His glory be brighter and greater in our church. May we see Him yet more and more. Somebody say amen to that. I need to go through this rather quickly here. We find Him in in verse 13, in the midst of the seven lampstands. That the Bible tells us at the very end of Revelation chapter 1 that these lampstands, golden lampstands, are representative of the church or churches, right? Jesus in the midst, walking in the midst. What's his message to us today as an end-time church? He's in the midst of us. He's in the midst of us. It's golden lampstands, meaning that the glory of God and the deity of Jesus Christ is among us. Praise the Lord. But we're a lampstand as a church. We're not the light. We're merely a lampstand. We display. The, we shine it forth. But when people come, we don't want them to marvel at the beauty of the lampstand but rather to be drawn and attracted to the light of that lampstand. Am I right about that? The light. And, and what is so uh, fearful is this, is that if we do not hold fast and remain faithful, then he will remove the lampstand. We will cease being a church. The last thing I want to be is a religious organization. I want to be God's church where Jesus is in our midst, walking among us. I love that. He's in our midst. I got this out of Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Oh, Jesus, be among your people. Be our God and be in our midst. Walk among us, I pray, O oh Lord. Bring us your presence. Bring us your anointing. Don't withdraw your hand from us. Oh, Lord, we want more of you in our midst. One final one. Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand. He says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. That word angels is messenger, and it could be every church is assigned an angel or as a messenger, those angels represent pastors of the church. Most uh, of the commentaries that I read say that these seven stars are the angels or the messengers or the pastors of the seven churches. They are in his hand. And I want you to know, Jesus shines like the sun, but stars are in his hand. So what do you do? You come to see the star, or you come to look at the sun. And I want you to know, when the sun is shining bright, you can't even see the stars. 
So you're drawn to and attracted to the Son, S-O-N, the Son of Righteousness. You're drawn and attracted to Jesus Christ. You want Him to be glorified, right? You want to see Him. The last thing you want to draw your attention to and, and uh, focus in on is the star that's in His hand because He's shining like the sun. And if He really is shining, then you don't even notice the star. And I pray that all the time. Lord, when people come, may they see Jesus. May they hear from Jesus. May he be glorified in this church. When people leave, may they say, I've met with God. The last thing we want is for them to be enamored with this or that or focused on this or that of these lesser things. We want Jesus to be the focus, the attention in our midst, drawing people to him. Amen. That's what we want. That's what we want. And just like the lampstand, if a church is unfaithful, he will remove the lampstand. I really believe this. If the star, that messenger, let's say it's a pastor, if he's unfaithful delivering the word of God, then God also will remove him. Let Jesus Christ be praised. Bow your heads in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we're so thankful for your goodness. We're so thankful, Lord, for this revelation. Oh, Lord, you have shown yourself mighty and strong, and you want to be this and all this to us, Lord. Oh, Lord, increase the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. Increase your glory among us. I pray, Lord, that your hair as white as snow, that your wisdom would be among us your priestly ministry, that you'd be Lord and King over us. Lord, as you have revealed yourself to these seven churches, oh, Lord, reveal yourself fresh and new to us here at Cornerstone. We want you, Lord. Minister to us. As we complete our 21 days today, Lord, I thank you for the words you've spoken to my heart. I thank you for the anointing that we have in this place. But, oh, Lord, as that messenger over Cornerstone Church. Thank you, Lord, that I'm in your hands. What a great place to be. But, oh, Lord, I want you to shine brighter at Cornerstone than you've ever shined before. Shine brighter than you've ever shined before. Be more glorified. Let your voice be more powerful. Let your word be sharper here at Cornerstone. If you're here today and you would say, you know what? I need to get saved. I came to church today and I'm not even saved. I need to be saved. I need to turn my life over to God. I need to receive Christ. I need to know God. I need to invite Jesus into my life. I need to believe upon him. I need to repent. Man, if that is you, Listen, harden not your heart. Let today be the day of your salvation. This is a call out to anyone in this morning service that would say, Pastor Tim, I am lost. I need Jesus. I need you to pray with me that I might be saved. If that's you, raise your hand. Raise your hand if that's you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No baptisms in the first service? Okay, very good, very good. 
good to go. Let's all stand. Can we do that, church? I hope this word encouraged you, challenged you, strengthened you. Put a rejoicing spirit in your heart. You know, the word of God can do so many different things. You know, where you, I hope you fell more in love with Jesus because of this word. I, I, helped, I, I hope that the fear of God grew in your heart because of this word. Oh, man, he's just so awesome and mighty. And, Lord, who am I? Who am I, Lord, that, that you want to live a life pleasing to him and honor him more and more because of this word? That, that's what I want. That's what I want. I hope that you responded that way. Let's close with this worship song. And after we worship, you'll be dismissed. Go in the grace of God, all right?